Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. Hey, Asher, how's your week been? Week has been long, not gonna lie. Yeah, you excited to potentially move out to the Wild West? I'm heading for the hills. Well, I'm already in the Wild West. And my, my lungs are tired of the dust. I need that clean mountain air. Yeah, so uh, my wife Shannon actually spent the last week, or not the last week, but last weekend in Denver. And as uh, a year-long resident of Salt Lake City now, she's decided that she hates Denver. Which is upsetting. I love Denver. And I personally, well, actually, I don't know if I've ever been to Denver, but uh, That's I wild. love Colorado. Uh but the reason she hates Denver is that if you walk outside in Salt Lake City, it's amazing. The weather's great, but also you can look in any direction and see mountains. It is gorgeous. Because because when the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints moved here, they wanted somewhere that they were protected from uh, people who didn't like their religion. But yeah, so when she goes to Denver, she looks for mountains. And they're the city that says, hey, uh, we've got a ton of mountains. We're the Mile High City. We love mountains. You can't see a single mountain from the city. Yeah, but you can, you can, like, there's plenty of photos of the skyline of Denver where you can see mountains. You just need a special lens. Yeah, well, if I had a special lens right here in my room, I could look at Saturn. (laughs) And if we're talking about photos, I've seen photos of Bigfoot from this room right here in Salt Lake City. Does that make Salt Lake City the city of Bigfoot? That's not how mountains work or photos work. So to keep with the spooky theme of our October month of, of theories and mysteries, do you want to dive into this week's theory? Just get in quick? Let's get in fast before they get us. <laughs> so today we'll be talking about the mystery of the Franklin Expedition. Similar to, a, little, a little similar to what we talked about last week with the Hammersmith ghost, hmm. in that we aren't really sure what's happened since then. There's a lot of mystery going on here. So I'll give a little bit of backstory. The... Franklin's Lost Expedition was an Arctic explorative voyage in 1845. And I have no idea why I struggled saying explorative, but we'll move (laughs) past it. Led by Captain Sir John Franklin. And after they left on this expedition, the remains of his crew were never seen again. And so this is very similar to the kind of Roanoke story where all these people moved uh, across the ocean and went to Roanoke and then never appeared again. It's similar to that idea, but there uh, seems to be less knowledge about this and more uh, skepticism around what could be happening. Well, it's because they found the lost book of Atlantis. Um, and one thing I've learned while doing research is that I know how to spell most words. <laughs> Brag about it. I don't know how to spell expedition. Hmm. There's an H in there somewhere. He's hiding, though. There's not an H There's in expedition. There's not an H? No, uh, and I don't know where you would have thought an H would be, like a silent one at the beginning, like Hexpedition or something. The most silent H. Uh, I, I guess... Is there not an H in Exhibit? There is an H in Exhibit. There it it's is. right after the X. That's where... But Expedition goes E-X-P-E, and I I just feel like that sound, Expedition, is the same sound, so it should just be eyes all the way through, but that's neither here nor there. That's a little journey in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little a little expedition in English. Uh, so the, I'll give you backstory on the journey. The crew departed from England on two ships: the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror. Whoa! Uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny that such a wild tale starts with a boat named the Terror. 
Um, and the terror is way more important than Erebus. I don't... I, Erebus we won't be talking about as much. This was Captain Sir John Franklin's fourth and last Arctic expedition. According to history, the two ships became icebound in Victoria Strait near King William Island in the Canadian Arctics. Um, before we dive into the next bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about the British Admiralty, which is what's the government agency that sent him out. Okay. They're the, they're the government, the section of the government, at least, department responsible for the command of the Royal Navy. So basically, in Pirates of the Caribbean terms, they're that guy that nobody really liked, that officer. Yep. The guy who blows up in slow motion? Yeah, the yeah. guy who blows up in slow motion, and I think is kind of in love with uh, Will Turner's girl. Yes. Yeah, it's it's that guy. That guy is what we're going to envision as the British admiralty for this. Okay, and he's our main character, or he's the villain? All of the characters in our story today are descendants of that guy. They're part of that government department. So it's not like Pirates of the Caribbean where we'll be talking about Captain Jack Sparrow today. So after this disappearance, Franklin's wife urged the admiralty to send a search party. Um, and so they officially started this process three years later. They offered a good reward, good enough reward that as many as 11 British expeditions and two American expeditions joined the quest. Dang, okay. Um, one of them... Uh, and probably the most famous one of them was Admiral Sir Francis Leopold McClintock. But we're going to call him McClinty. Yeah, so we don't pull a muscle in our throats. Yeah, because I uh, I struggled spelling expedition. <laughs> Every time I try and say Admiral Sir Francis Leopold McClintock, I have to take a long, deep breath afterwards. So McClinty took the fox, which was Lady Franklin's ship, and set out on the quest. He found a decent amount of different Inuit tribes that all explained that Franklin's crew's ships had been crushed by ice and the crew had starved to death, possibly cannibalistically. Damn. What's crazy about this is that they didn't find anything on any of these expeditions. These expeditions were super important because they ended up helping map a lot of that region, the Canadian Arctics, because so many people were just trying to find where they went and they didn't have any basis for where they went so they were searching everywhere so this was more of a rescue party like this is a rescue operation yeah the, or do they just assume they were dead and they just wanted to know what happened well it wouldn't have been unrealistic for a crew to sail out at that point this was the 1840s remember so it wouldn't have been crazy unrealistic for this crew to sail out and out of nowhere disappear and come back later like it's it's boats it's not like Hmm. I'm driving I'm driving to CVS and Shannon hasn't seen me in three years. <laughs> like, that's a little bit different. Okay. Cause so there's so much unknown that they could for they could very much be alive for all they know. Yeah. And this guy, this was his third Arctic expedition, so it makes sense that he is spending a while on each of them because he's exploring far away. And and remember, they were sailing out from Britain, searching the Canadian Arctics, which is a long voyage in and of itself. I don't actually know how much time that voyage is supposed to take, but them not showing up for three years seems a little bit long, but not ridiculous. Right. So what are they, what was the original expedition of the Terror and some other boat that's less interesting sounding? What were they searching for? Why would they go on this expedition in the first place? So that's not explained as often. I imagine it was a uh, charting expedition. Okay, so this is sheer, like, spirit of adventure. What's over there? We need to find out. 
They're not trying to colonize anything. They're not trying to... There's no tale of sunken treasure. They just want to know what's going on up. Well, I think what's important to note about Britain at this point was they very much were trying to be the biggest, most important people in the world. Hmm. And I think what's so valuable about these kind of expeditions is that this will give you knowledge. This will give you, hey, we have explored the Canadian Arctics. We have the knowledge of what is up there. Do you want some of it? We'll sell you some of this land that we've discovered. Okay. Like that kind of thing. So even and though so, they're going to a frozen wasteland, they in their minds were gaining power from this. Yes. I, I don't think that the British Admiralty would be sending, from what I know from exclusively the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, I don't think that the British Admiralty would be wanting to just send guys out for fun. But yeah, so what's what's kind of crazy about this is that they have found the wrecks of the two ships, but guess when they found them? How recent? Erebus was found in 2014. What? And Terror was found in 2016. Wow. So were and the Inuit tribes right? Where did they turn up? So they were found in that area, in a similar area to where... Uh, it's tricky because... The Inuit tribes said that the they had been crushed by ice, and so it, it wouldn't really be possible for you to say, oh, this ice, uh, this is exactly the ice this Inuit tribe was <laughs> Good about. point, yes. Because it's definitely, a couple hundred years later, like the ice in my cup right now is going to be gone in a couple minutes. So I think it'd be safe to say that the ice, even in the Arctic, is going to be moving quite a bit. But yeah, so they found them... Um, under the ice, which isn't the isn't the mystery here. Most of it has to do with what could have happened to them beyond just getting stuck in ice. So according, there's a book about this theory, which yes, is in my Amazon cart already, don't worry. And there is a secret, according to this book, there is a secret scheme by the British Admiralty to hire a race of giant aliens, or hide a race of giant aliens in the Arctic here. Hmm. And that's where Franklin's crew was last known to be heading, is where that alien race is spe uh, specifically hidden. Okay, this is a, too big of a mental jump for me. I'm having a hard time getting there. So they have exactly. giant aliens and they're going to hide them up north, or that's where they already live? So what's crazy is I can't find anything about this outside of this book, which makes me think that this book has to be some sort of historical fiction thing. Okay. But the... There's a community of people that truly believe that this book isn't telling any, like, isn't trying to craft any story. It's trying to just tell the truth, documentary style, biography style. I definitely like the idea that you have the Redcoats sipping on their tea and E.T. shows up and they're like, where are you going to put this thing? So apparently, one thing, so I've, I only found a couple spots where they actually talked about what these aliens could have been. But they, every time, used the word giant. So I'm imagining giant. not... I'm not. I'm imagining not ET, but like two times the size of Predator or something. Okay, and these are already living in the Arctic, right? Um, it looked from what it sounds like the British Admiralty had taken effort to hide them in the Arctic. Interesting. Meaning they. So what confuses me about this whole thing is there must be the British Admiralty must be large enough to where uh, there are different sections of it. One section that's hiding this, and one section that's sending out expeditions like franklin's crew because i imagine that if i hid these giant aliens in a part of the world that i thought nobody would worry about them i wouldn't a couple of years later be like 
hey, Franklin, why don't you go explore the part oh, of the world yeah, that right, nobody right, knows right, about? Right, 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 That's a good point. You, you would want everyone to forget about it. You want to be like, ah, where did, where did we put those things? I just mm, I put it in a special place so I wouldn't forget, and then I did forget. And so that book actually inspired a TV show by AMC that came on earlier this year called The Terror. Oh, that's which, great. See, they knew. They knew. They knew. They knew that television would be invented at some point. They just knew that it's going to, like, they're going to tell stories about us. That's like, we had, we had to, for a little while in my family, we all, y'all gave our cars terrible nicknames. So the Suburban was the Bourbonic Plague. And the, oh, ex- that's good. And the Explorer, Ford Explorer was the Exploder. But we also, I don't really believe in like bad juju, but I feel like if I call my car the Exploder and then I die in a fireball, everyone's like, yeah, what did you expect? Like you had it coming, you know? So I, we, it, it just, that seemed like bad juju. So that if you want to have a smooth sailing to the frozen wastelands, I feel like you don't name your ship the Terror. That, I, I love that so much though, because like, I've always called my cars human names you know what i mean where it's like hey uh you want to take a ride in ferguson or you want to take a ride in marshall or something but i love the idea of like my car is named the same way a ship is yeah like do you want to take a ride in the black pearl exactly maybe it's uh, theater rules where you give it a bad name for good luck well i'm not even saying a bad name or even an ominous name but just like the ss (laughs) just starting anything off with ss yeah, I but yeah, I love that. I think one thing I thought of just recently though is there's a chance that um so much of this story is you're not sure if it's fiction or not sure if it's crafted afterwards that it could be that both ships had boring names like the Erebus and afterwards they like posthumously they added the name the Terror instead of for one of them. Really? That seems um, like something yeah, there actually would be a lot of documentation about though. I guess that's true. I imagine one thing I know about Britain is that they t- they write everything down pretty specifically. Yeah. And so there's there's probably good precedent for knowing, yeah, this is actually called The Terror. But uh, the show, The Terror, gives a lot of details on what they believe the monster was. And what's cool is they actually, uh, most of these stories are based on actual old Inuit stories. So they hired a bunch of, AMC hired on Inuits as uh, consultants. Very cool. For the show. Gotta which appreciate is neat that. And, and makes me want to watch the show. Shows like this that actually use that kind of representation are so cool and so important. So quick sponsorship for AMC and the Terror. But yeah, so the monster that it's supposed to be is a spirit animal that's part polar bear, part Loch Ness monster. And is the size of a like a Mack moving truck. Okay. All right. So, th- so and, I, I was I, thinking more of an intelligent being, but this is more of just like a chimera animal thing. I imagine it would be intelligent, but in the same sense that, like, something from The NeverEnding Story would be. Okay. Um, and the giant truck is known as, and this is a good name, the Toonbach. Hmm. T-U-U-N-B-A-Q, since this is a spelling episode, apparently. Anytime you have two vowels right up against each other, it's 30% more mystical. That's just fact. Yeah. So both of these, uh, both of these theories were clearly listed as fiction. Like, if you look up the book, which... The book is actually just called The Terror, um, and it's also a novel. Both the book and the TV show very much detail, this is fictional. This is not a real thing. But what's crazy is that, and we know we've talked a bunch about stuff like worldnewsdaily.com 
and people taking clickhole seriously, those kinds of communities. Right. People, this, there's a large community of people that believe that this is a real thing, that the people on this ship were really eaten by a giant alien. So I'm but, guessing that, I mean, if, if they get as far as they did and then get eaten by the alien, then it's held up in the brig and then it escapes and then runs amok around the ship. Because it sounds like they're doing the, the alien a favor by moving it out to the, the frozen tundra. I don't know. Like, if you just wanted to dispose of it, I mean, you kill it and burn it. So that that's kind of why there's a lot of mystic energy surrounding the stories. That's like, like why they would need to go so far outside the realm of civilization to dump this thing. Well, I don't think it would be intentionally for the purpose of doing this alien a favor. I think it's similar to... So I saw... We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I saw Predator, the new Predator movie, a couple weeks ago. And one of the main characters, Olivia Munn's character, her whole focus is capturing the Predator so they can study it. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it was something along those lines where they saw, hey, there are these giant aliens and somehow we've successfully captured it. We could kill it, but we could also put it somewhere where it's not going to be as much of a problem, but we can study it. Oh, interesting. Where it can just run wild and free and not harm anybody. Which actually makes me think of an even wilder conspiracy. What if the British Admiralty sent Franklin's crew as food? Oh my God. (laughs) So they did just want to get rid of them and send them out. That answers a a lot of questions. That actually, surprisingly, that wraps it up kind of nicely. I think they were just like, he's, he's a, go take his temperature. Make sure he's feeling all right. I don't know. Bring him this fruit basket. Well, I think even if they didn't tell them that there is this monster out there, the fact that they don't have like internet signal or anything makes it easy to hide this kind of thing. And if they sent out this crew and so we were confused about why the British Admiralty would have these two kind of pieces in the puzzle. They would have these aliens and then send out these people to the exact spot they hid these aliens, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't the British Admiralty send these people as food for these aliens? It makes sense for why they were so, uh, um, they needed to be like pressed to send out more people to search for them. Because the whole goal was that they wouldn't come back. Of course, they don't have a live webcam set up, so they do need to have people there monitoring this thing to learn anything. Yeah, I guess there could have been some sort of scientist on board that was there to like study them. I'm I definitely guess. envisioning a the thing style like base camp where they or uh, close encounters of the third kind where they like set up everything around it. And they're like, what's going on here? Let's study this together as a group of national scientists. But I'm definitely more like I can definitely track more with the idea of them. F- like there's an expedition. They find something and then they leave it there and continue to study it and keep it a secret rather than transporting something to there. Because I feel like in this era of expansion, like if you have something that's that dangerous and powerful and intelligent, uh, slap a frilly hat and frilly coat, give them a musket. Yeah, I do think I do think you're right. It makes more sense to have found them there and think, oh, this is kind of the perfect spot to have found giant aliens. But the so the craziest thing about all of this, um, in a completely factual sense, is that to this day, these people were never found. So there, so there wasn't just piles of skeletons. On these ships that they found. In 1848, they found some skeletons found near where the Inuit said they had seen 
these people go missing. Inuits but know. it wasn't the Inuits know, but it wasn't anything close to two full ships of people. Like anywhere close. So what I I like just trying to figure out what could have happened to these people. It could have been some giant Toonbox style monster. And I love the idea that the British government is hiding this monster out there and then sending people to be fed. I don't love that from a humanist perspective, but <laughs> I love that from a story perspective. That that's the that's the the story that people have come up with. So if you're planning on taking a trip to the frozen Canadian tundra, pack some uh, bear spray. Make sure you keep your ears sharp too. You don't want it to be sneaking up on you. And they make a lot. What do you? Is that the sound of uh, sleigh bells? Are we near? Are we yeah. near Santa's workshop? Oh wait, no, not even close. I definitely hear sleigh I'm bells. I'm hearing that. Though. Yeah, you hearing that? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. It's beautiful. <laughs> Let's listen. So joking aside, huge, huge thank you to supporter and fan Connor Voigt for that new Hit the Snopes theme song. We're excited. You know it sounds beautiful. Don't gotta act like it isn't. We're really excited to have a contribution like that. Thanks again, Connor. Really appreciate you elevating the show. It's it's really cool to be at a point already where our fans and listeners make us look better than we actually are. Yeah, like we expect to be pretty good after a while, but this song is so much better than we think we are. <laughs> well, before we get too self-depreciating, let's talk about hair. Shaving and hair, Snopes. There's actually a lot of myths about hair, and this is something practical that you can use, listeners can use. I've got long, flowing locks. I can definitely use it. I know you have been thinking about growing your hair back out. Um, this also applies to beards, and it's something I've heard my whole life, and it frustrated me to no end, even as a child. So, oh, is it the is it the cutting hair thing? It's. Yeah, do you want to say it? I think you know. This is so. I have for I don't know, probably seven years, wanted a beard more than anything, yes. and my facial hair just doesn't grow like that. Right. And so, what I've heard. And if you're about to tell me this isn't true, I'm so thankful. What I've heard is that the more I cut my facial hair, the more I trim that kind of thing, yeah, it grows faster. Yes, that's bullshit. Oh my! It, even as a okay, I remember I'm the kid who thought that I could get strong enough to lift my legs and I could levitate. I'm that guy. And then when someone said, "Oh, if you cut your hair or you cut your beard, it grows back, it grows back thicker and faster," and like there's no way if you have a shitty beard and you cut it you're gonna regrow another second shitty beard it's not gonna grow back fuller and this has been something i've heard my entire life from otherwise very intelligent people like this is this is wives tale that has gone on to become wives fact and there's no validity to it so shavers and clippers take heart. This is what I'm reading directly from the great website Snopes.com. In your quest for tonsorial perfection, you are not creating a larger problem for yourself through your efforts. Cutting does not stimulate new growth. Because if it did, people going bald would be shaving their afflicted areas to encourage regrowth of what they're losing. 
This belief probably stems from the perception that short hair seems to be tougher than longer hair. So you can think of it, Jackson, like a bamboo cane is an analogy they use, is that you have a long stalk of bamboo, it bends and flexes really easily, but if you cut it short, it's really stiff and tough, and then it's just good for stabbing. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you've got a special lady in your life, you cut, you shave, and then within like seven, eight hours of that clean shave, you got, you give your lady a smooch and they go, oh, it's sharp. You have a thousand little blades on your face because when you have those teeny tiny follicles, then they feel thicker just because they're stiffer when they're short. And then they, they get more flexible as they get longer. But there's not, when you cut your hair, you're not doing anything to stimulate growth. I guess maybe the exception with a beard is that from like 20 to 35, you're still like getting a thicker and thicker beard. So shaving it and growing it back, that's not making it thicker. It's basically you're just trying again. And like it's a little bit thicker this time because you've gotten a little bit older. Yeah. And I think you could argue that not that it's helping it grow back, but that one reason people believe that is if I shave this beard right now and it a few more hairs grow next time, it looks like the beard that I'm growing is a better beard. Yeah, but the part of the hair that we style, the, heart, the hair that we see is already dead. I mean, that's kind of common knowledge. But if you think about it, that makes this, uh, this makes this myth really obviously fake is because the living sections are below the surface of your scalp and your skin. So cutting away the dead areas doesn't have any impact on the part that's alive. So you can shave or not shave, and your hair is going to essentially grow as thick as you are genetically dispositioned to. But there's, this is more than, this is a twofer, a threefer, a fourfer. There's a lot of really quick hair myths we can blast through really. Uh, so shampooing makes your hair fall out. Not true. Obviously, like when you get your hair wet, you already have, you're losing hair all day anyway, and the hair that falls out when you shampoo was already ready to go. Basically, it was pulling a tooth that was so loose, it was hanging on by a thread. I think it's also, that one, a bunch of these are easy to argue. Like that one, when my hair gets wet, my hair gets heavier. It makes sense that the hairs that were already falling out would have fallen because of gravity at that point. So split ends can be repaired, not true. Shampoo loses its effectiveness as hair becomes accustomed to it. That's not true. Stop me if any of these are surprising to you. Brushing your hair is good for your hair. That's not true. Obviously, you're going to... any Anytime you can, like, the more you leave your hair alone, the nicer it'll be. Plucking one gray hair causes two to grow back. All false. This is one is that... This is actually the more surprising one to me. Wearing hats causes baldness is something I've also heard, and that's not true, thankfully. So a hat, tied or otherwise, doesn't cause hair to go with the way of the dodo. Hair thinning and hair loss are simply natural parts of the aging process. How very reassuring. The mistaken belief that hat wearing brings about this condition probably began during the era where hat wearing was all the rage for men, and people mistakenly concluded that one was related to the other. So it was literally just male pattern baldness plus more men wearing hats, and they concluded that hats cause baldness. I mean, this is. I mean, you want to know? You want to know something wild along those lines? Sure, of course. I've been work. I've been working at the same company for nine and a half months now. The one of my one of the guys on my team, I realized today, hasn't come to work without a hat on since I started. So is he definitely bald, or is he just like hats? 
Uh, he is super close to being bald. Okay. But yeah, like, I, I, and I don't think it's connected like that. I think it's more, it's less hat than bald and more bald than hat. But seriously, like, I love hats, and he could just love hats too, and be bald. It's fine. He can be both. But I have actively, uh, like, worn hats as little as possible from this fear. No kidding. Because, I, I mean, I went to a Lids in the mall, and the guy who's working there was like, oh, yeah, I love, you know, love this hat. That's why I got this bald spot, because I wear it every day. And that scared the hell out of me, because I love my hair, and I like hats, but I have definitely thought twice about putting a hat on, because I feel like it's either one or the other, but that's thankfully not the case. I've also heard that like your scalp releases some weird protein, and that causes male pattern baldness, and wearing a hat like traps it in. Uh, but now that I said that out loud, it's using sciencey words to cover up how stupid it is. Yeah, I... I had never heard that one before, um, and so it feels stupid to me immediately because the way you're explaining it is immediately the obvious right way, but I can imagine being terrified that I love my hair, but I love hats. Which do I choose? Yeah. I mean, a lot of hair myths are really old-timey, and they've just hung around. I guess that's the definition of a wives' tale. Uh, probably sexist to use the term wives' tale in 2018, but that, that kind of gets across what I'm trying to say. So, like, lemon juice or vinegar. Should, should we... Should we call it a weave's tail then? Sure, sure. A weave's tail. Lemon juice or vinegar rinse makes hair shine. I think I've heard this one too. But uh, back in the olden days, folks would just rub the bar of soap into their hair to clean their hair. So their, so soap combines with alkaline salts in the water, and it basically dulls the hair when it clings to its appearance. So using vinegar and lemon juice cut through that like soapy residue and that made it shinier but uh people don't just like rub a bar of soap on their head we now have shampoo hmm yeah i think it's also that's the kind of thing that a lot of people still to this day and i don't i don't know science very well so it could be the case but a lot of people to this day are like why are you using chemical induced shampoo you should be using you should just be smashing limes against your forehead. <laughs> People put mayonnaise in their hair, my guy. And that's like good advice. Yeah. Well. Beauty. Yeah. You, dude, fat, uh, like holistic fashion blogs, I think, are people just getting pranked 24-7. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny to me. So while this wasn't a particularly mystical or... Uh, not a lot of hidden conspiracy going on with this Snopes article. I legitimately had so much stress that I didn't know I still carry lifted from my shoulders, learning that all these things I worried about with my hair are completely invalid. So hopefully we've all grown together just like our hair. Woof, that was kind of rough. I'm glad that instead of being extremely like spewing mysticism during this segment today, we actually gave some life advice that can hopefully make some people feel at ease the best advice is um be born with good genetics yeah that's uh if you can do that just go ahead and do just that go ahead and do that I, really quick i think if you google how to be born with good genetics uh you should get some good results yep uh no oh don't but yeah do some research and that's that's the best tip for keeping your hair healthy well, thanks for listening to me talk about scalp hygiene, and thanks to Glenn Merle for our theme song. 
Threadbare off the album of Burden of Proof. You heard it at the top of the show, and you can hear the rest of it and the rest of the album on Spotify, iTunes, any place that streams music, or glenmorelmusic.com. And a quick shout-out to Connor Voigt again for a Hit the Snopes theme song. And we are hoping to continue to fill out a lot of these segments in the show, and we're really excited to grow in real time. You're seeing the show develop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, we're posting on social media. We got a Twitter at S Confident Show. Thank you, Jack Dorsey, for not letting us have the same title as our Instagram, which is Strictly Confidential Show. And then if you want to email us, send us, uh, send us topics, send us comments, send us anything. Send us memes, send us gifts. We got strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. Except if I get one more goddamn chicken pot pie recipe, I am going to lose it. No more chicken pot pie! Something After else, I've been please. Sending you those. I've been sending you those. Well, they have been delicious. It's just a little much, okay? Okay, this isn't the time and place to complain about my recipes. Well, if you want to be on the show, we would love to interview you. And if you like our show, please tell your very best friend. Second best friend, forget about him. You only have to tell your most important friend to listen to our show. It would be a huge help to us. That word of mouth means a lot, seriously. If you are feeling like telling your second best friend, though, I'm okay with that. I don't know if Asher is, but I'm fine with that. Uh, Yeah, I think that's it. That's all I got. Uh, Well, I'm Jackson. And I've been Asher. And this has been Strictly Confidential. And as always, uh, pay attention to the Inuits. Hey, Jeremy, why are my shoes still untied? You know I can't do this myself. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.